Welcome to the Programmatic Digest, a podcast dedicated to review industry headlines and trends in the programmatic and digital ad tech world. I'm Ellen Parker, your host and Chief Programmatic Sensei of Ellen Parker Consulting, where we offer customizable training in programmatic media. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Adam, to the Santis Corner. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks so much for having me. I am very excited to talk to the RZA of... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, for those who don't know, this is Adam Heimlich, CEO of Chalice, uh, Chalice.ai, right? And yeah. um, that's the website. And I will just let you introduce yourself, but make sure you mention why you're called the RZA of your team. <laughs> so um, a company is called Chalice Custom Algorithms. I founded it uh, starting myself around 2019 and then got two co-founders in 2020. Uh, and then coincidentally, both of those co-founders like me had a, had a hip hop background. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was a rap writer in the 90s, covered the Wu-Tang Clan, the Rizzas, my idol. So in our write-up, they called me the, the Rizza of the company because I assembled the team the way That's the Rizza assembled the, the Wu-Tang Clan. The Wu-Tang Clan, got it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so you said you had a background in music. You were uh, a journalist in the music yeah. industry, is that it? Yes. Yeah, I was, I was a rap critic through, throughout the 90s. I, I wrote for the, the Star-Ledger in New Jersey, which is the paper that Tony Soprano is always reading in wow. Sopranos, and a weekly in New York called New York Press. You know, it was a different time before the internet that there were all these newspapers. <laughs> yeah. People, there were only a few people, you know, reviewing records. Maybe 20 people in all of New York. They have to <laughs> review records. Funny to think now, anyone, yeah. now that there's millions of people who review records. But I, anyway, I got into marketing <laughs> right when AdWords came out, 2002 yeah. careers. I uh, became a search guy, did some social, uh, jumped on programmatic when it came out, ended up being the uh, head of programmatic at the biggest independent agency, Horizon. I started their trading desk and led it for a few years. Mm -hmm. uh, had a deep partnership with with Trade Desk early on, uh, and I was always into using the most advanced capabilities. Right, I always just wanted to to play with the latest toys and, and test the the newest thing that was coming out around 2018. That was really starting to be what's now called custom algorithms. But I would just say projects are getting into the getting deeper into the data. Yeah, right. People know DSPs know that there is like a, a log file, right? Yep. Calls Reds for the event data stream, uh, raw event data stream, and even ad servers have have raw log files. Although that knowledge is, is a little bit lost since uh, DoubleClick dominated the space. But I, when I go back to the agency Avenue A that built Atlas, and we used to work with raw Atlas data, so I always knew that the raw data is is where the the gems are, and the ability to apply advanced analytics uh, to raw data sets was was how you get even better performance. So mm -hmm. I left the agency world over there, you know, <laughs> they're a little, a little more stagnant. I wanted to move more quickly. I was more entrepreneurial mm -hmm. than, than all the agencies around 2018. I did some consulting with in-house teams. So I found to be really um, innovative, right? And moving yeah. faster. Mm -hmm. One of the things that inspired me to start Chalice was I read the case study of the Uber in-house team. I was a judge in the Ad Exchanger Awards. Their case study was, 
building a custom algorithm using beeswax bid models to drive incremental rides on the Uber app. And it resulted in 800% lift in incremental rides. And I just like, I can remember that day, like I put it down and I was like, well, everyone's going to do this. Like, this is, this is, this should be my company. This yeah. is my an entrepreneur. So I was a little too optimistic. Not everyone is doing custom algorithms, but I was right that, that just about everyone should. Everyone is big as Uber for sure. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, so started the company. We did early work for the Biden Harris campaign, mm-hmm. for Ossoff in the Georgia Senate runoff, and then landed some agencies and DTC brands, some direct brands. And then last year, we kind of, we kind of got put on the map all at once by a trade desk investing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, that was really, uh, the list, listeners know this about me already. I am extremely biased when it comes to the trade desk. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I credit my, the start of my journey in the programmatic realm to the trade desk because I was working for an agency. I was their first trader back in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia at that time. And uh, the traders trained us. It was me and then uh, another one of my friends, Sasha Sosa, that came on board a few months after and we trained together. But the traders literally held our hand, trained us from like zero to the traders that we What year was that? What year was that? Oh, man. 2014. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's early. Yeah. Yeah. And... They had just, so it was one of the agency, um, so the partnership happened via Goodway at that point, but the trade desk uh, allowed us to test their um, trading academy at that time, and it was not out yet. And yeah. now the trading academy is called Trading Edge or something like that, the Edge Academy, and the midterm and the, the finals were like, I think, 30 questions. Back in the day, it was 100 questions, y'all, so be grateful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was 100 questions. Uh, and I failed a couple of them. Actually, all of them. Almost I failed at least once. And you had to retake the whole thing. So, um, yeah, great times. Great times. So I definitely credit um, the trade desk for starting that little, you know, flame in terms of, wow, this is pretty much a pretty cool, pretty cool world. Because that's my background started in organic social media and I hated it. And I got <laughs> on the data driven side. and I was like, yeah, that's a little bit better. I can deal with this. But the other, no, I can't. Yeah emotions so um I, I, i'm also inspired by the trade aspect their yeah. philosophy that that it's all your data this is the advertiser's data and they should make it all available to advertisers yeah. and useful for advertisers something uh i found very inspiring i wouldn't have started chalice if jeff green wasn't out there in the marketplace talking about that and, and succeeding uh with yeah. a model based on data sharing and really same same for beeswax and media math have the same philosophy yeah Mm-hmm. And and also very inspiring leaders who uh, I that are friends. Great. Um, I haven't had the chance to work with Beeswax and Media Math, but currently, um, while I train some, certain agencies, if they want to start and they can't afford something like a Goodway or a Trade Desk, then AdLib is one of the DSP that I recommend because I've used AdLibs and I think it was funded by Media Math. Uh, the Matt Kaufman. Oh, yeah. um, I know that. So. Um, so yeah, so and I, and I really appreciate uh, that platform because it gives the almost the same advanced technology outside of the Google world to an agency or a brand that's starting out in programmatic and just want to take uh, hold of their programmatic media effort. Which leads into today's conversation. We're going to talk about custom bidding and then yeah. um, agency trading desk, uh, what it represents right now, what. What do you think it will represent in a few years from now or, or 
any projections on that matter. But I only know so much about custom bidding. So walk us through exactly what that means, because I feel like I've Googled the term and it meant a few definitions, <laughs> yeah. which is common when it comes to Googling. So tell us what to, we should know about custom bidding and why it's so important to consider for a brand or an agency. Welcome to the programmatic meetup. Yay! I'm so excited about this community that we're building. It's going to be a safe space for media buyers, ad ops, uh, programmatic ninjas, data analysts like you and I, you know, just to come up and talk about our day-to-day challenges in our direct roles, some of our, some of our wins and some of our um, opportunities to grow to educate ourselves. Some of the topic of discussion includes anything from optimization, best practice, QA, templating, workflow, um, ver- operational workflow. I'll have guest appearance. I'm bringing my network to you. And the best part of it is that you'll have one-on-one questions with them. Oh, so excited about this, yo. I'm so hyped. Um, so what to expect in your membership, right? Um, you can expect one hour call every first and third Wednesday of the month access to all the recordings for the paid members within our community, um, discounted one-on-one consulting with me and some of the guests that will be gracing us with their presence and their appearance, customizable training, but most importantly, new best friends, y'all. I'm very excited about this opportunity. This is a community for you and I. This is a community for us to just join forces and really, really share, really just being able to be together in a community. There's so much growth when you're in a community, when you're able to relate to people, or somebody understands where you're coming from, um, from, from different perspectives, right? So, so join today. Programmatic Meetup our community is open to you. Bring your friends, tell your friends to bring his friends, to bring her friends and his friends to meet up with us. Um, we respect you. We love you. We appreciate you. We're ready to like uh, support you. So make sure you join the programmatic meetup. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited about this. Yeah, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very excited about this. So thank you so much and see you soon. Yeah, great. Thank you. So people get used to DSPs, thinking of DSPs as one product, mm-hmm. right? And we would say a DSP is really a bundle of, of several project products that we'll talk about too, two that are coming apart a little bit, right? Okay. The, the bitter. And the algorithm. So the bidder is is a robot, right? The, the bidder is has uh, pipes to you know every website in the world except except for the, the five walled gardens, right? <laughs> uh, and it has a tremendous computing power. Um, Tradesk says they 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 bid they bid in nine million auctions per second, right? So that's that's extreme that's power awesome. they're considering, mm-hmm. right? So these all these integrations, pipes, and this incredible speed. We just think of as as a bidding machine, right? And it throws off a huge amount of data, right? Yeah. Potentially nine million data points a second, right? And it's not just a single data point; it's a whole bunch of columns in the bid request, and more columns on what happened, didn't happen, if you won, and the ad served, and there's even more columns. Yeah, <laughs> this enormous amount of data. So that's that's all straightforward technology, right? That's that's a robot, and it's great. Now. People got used to the idea that a DSP should also bid for you, right? That you shouldn't be, you shouldn't take this. It's too much data for you yourself to 
pull in and make decisions about. Yeah. So they do it. So, so the easy way to think about algorithms are, is scoring. Okay. Right? Every, every bid request gets a, gets a score based on a prediction of a, toward a goal. Right. So I, I was give it a, I'll give you a simple example of scoring toward a goal that just takes it out of the technology world. Right. Like, let's say you're trying to score a bunch of high school students for who's going to get into Harvard. Okay. Right. You might give that they have an SAT score. Right. They have grades. That's a score. They have uh, activities and you might score them on that. Right. And then maybe there's other factors that you think are important for Harvard. Like, did their parents go, go to Harvard? Maybe they get a score for that. So we, as people, the way the human mind thinks is you sort of look at the totality of the person, the student, and you're like, you know, maybe you hear about their SATs and you know their grades and you think, oh, she's going to Harvard. We look at it all at once. But the the way a computer would do it would be a numerical score for each of these, Mm -hmm. right? And then the highest scores are the most likely to get in, most likely to get into Harvard, right? They don't look at the whole thing. They just, they add up a bunch of scores. Uh, And that's what, that's what bidding algorithms do. There's a score for the user's likelihood to convert based on things the user has done before. There's a score for the, the website's likelihood, you know, contribution, conversion for this customer. Um, you know, a lookalike model is just a score for how much any cookie looks like any other cookie, yeah, right? Yeah. It's just one, one score for uh, how much alike it is, right? So all the, so this, this, this computation of scoring, of scores, it's happening all the time. There's a whole bunch of ways to do it, right? So the DSPs, the DSP algorithm, uh, the challenge of building those is that they have to work for everyone, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And they have to work fast, right? DSPs are trying to uh, perform quickly, mm-hmm. as everyone knows, right? Under, uh, under 100 milliseconds. To be <laughs> yeah, but no, but what, you know, they expect that people are going to test they might test trade desk for two weeks. Yeah. Right. Media math might have be in a bake off that lasts mm-hmm. a month. Right. So they, so they basically they train, the, they made the algorithms to kind of cut corners. Mm-hmm. Right. One thing they do is they tend to do is pool data. Right. If there's not enough data on one advertiser, they'll look at data from other advertisers to help score things. Right. Google, Google is the champion of this because everyone advertises with Google. Right. As soon as you put an ad in Google, they know you're, as soon as you upload an ad, a search ad, Google knows the propensity for it to be clicked mm-hmm. for any query. They know already because they've already aggregated so much data. So yeah. propensity scores are built in. But that's not a great method for an individual advertiser, right? Who might be saying something really specific. Yeah. Another way they cut corners is they don't score, they, don't, they can't score everything. Sorry about this car alarm. Is it loud? Yeah, I hear it. I thought it was feedback from your computer. I was going to say something, but it's the car alarm. That's, it's okay. yeah, that's the sound of Brooklyn. <laughs> can, we, can we pause? You know, no, it's okay. It's okay? Yeah, it's, I think it's fine. If, we know, if we're not able to uh, edit it out, I mean, this is just the beauty of working from home, so it's cool. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. I don't know if you were my dog earlier, so he was a beef. Yeah. He always beef with FedEx for some reason, even though that's just a dog. But yeah, continue. So, okay, okay. so you're talking about they scoring. They score everything, right. Yeah. They can't score everything. So there's there's about 50 features that, that Chalice has access to. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the things that come from the bid request, and there's features that we can make, like like the user's frequency and the recency, the last time they saw an ad. Yep. Sometimes we can get more detailed location data. Mm-hmm. 
code where the ad appeared instead of just the DMA. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all transaction data, right? It's not, it's not uh, PII data. It's not, it's not who this person is, right? It's, it's just data from the transactions. But there's about 50 things, right? And the normal DSP algorithm uh, looked at the same five, seven for everyone, right? They only score five or seven things. So if it turns out that zip code is a really good predictor for your business, it won't be included in the algorithm. And if frequency is a really important predict- prediction for you know, persuading people to try your brand, it won't be part of the algorithm, right? So people see the effects of this, right? If you run reports and you see that your uh, impressions are clustering in cities, right? That's because there's no, zip- there's no optimization by zip code. Yeah. And if you run a frequency distribution and you, and you see a lot of people get only one ad, mm-hmm. that's because frequency isn't part of the model, right? Like it, uh, it, uh... right? So, so what Chalice does is we take all 50 features and we say, what predicts the, the choice of outcomes? The other thing we do is you let the customer cho- choose the outcome. So maybe it's last touch conversions, but maybe it's first touch conversions. Maybe it's incremental right. conversions. Maybe it's store conversions. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's high value conversions. Maybe it's only new buyers. Maybe it's only second purchase, which is a big deal for retail, mm-hmm. right? So we take that choice of outcomes and we look at the 50 features and we show them what predicts that. Mm-hmm. Can I put something on the screen so people can see an example? Um, that- yep. Those would be for the YouTubers. So if you're listening to the audio right now, uh, you we'll have- it? no, they won't share. see it. It's okay. It's, it'll be on YouTube. You can share. You can share. Okay. Sharing oh, is wait. disabled. I have yeah. to make you something, right? Mm, a host or something. Oh, there it is. Yes. Yes. Good to be co-host. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have the right file. Okay, cool. So, so we look at all the features that might predict the outcome. Maybe it's second purchase. Let's imagine this is second purchase. Okay. So here, here's a list of 20 things we found to be important. And then we actually, this is a really simple one. We decide to build a model. We pick seven that, uh, pick, that predict conversion, right? Here they are. Day of week, the domain, seven-day recency, which is not in the bid request, point we have to build, platform operating system, the ad positioning, the ad position, mm-hmm. the ads TXT, and the zip code. Mm-hmm. Right. And this now we quantify this is how much they matter for second purchase. Wow. Right. They have the, so, week, the most day of the week is huge. Right. This, right. Is, this is this is a product that people get on Fridays because they want it on the weekend. <laughs> OK. And uh, so it's hugely important. But but, you know, it was revelatory for the client that that, that day of the week is so important for conversion. Yeah. Right. Then we would build a model. This is 54,000 rows of every combination of those seven. Mm -hmm. So this is what an algorithm looks like, right? It's the values that go go all the way down until they get red. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets, every single one gets a score. These all get uploaded. And this is actually just the beginning. This is the starting point. And what we're going to add on then is what does it actually cost? What does this bid request actually cost to get? And then Mm -hmm. we get the, uh, the ratio of those. So every bid request has a value and a cost and a ratio, and then the algorithm tries to get the best cost-to-value ratio for the entire budget. Gotcha. So let me just recap the, this, this perfect gem that you just dropped. Um, <laughs> if you were a book, I would have probably highlighted the whole chapter. So basically, <laughs> I think, I mean, I think everybody should have 
access to custom bidding at this point because it just makes targeting. I'm not, I'm going to sound cliche, y'all. I don't care. It just makes targeting more relevant. Yeah. But from a consumer perspective, it makes it all ultra relevant because now we're able to determine based on additional scoring, which you determined um, as I'm going to call them levers yeah. that we have access to. And yep. some of those levers you mentioned are day of the week, um, you know, frequency, reach, uh, recency, sorry. Um, so you have access to about 50 of those targeting levers. That's how I call them, um, which to us buyers could represent uh, a pre-bid filter. So we yep. add all those pre-bid filters and then in the auction, it just goes through boom, 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 boom. And if the scorings are high for any of the pre- uh, those filters, then we get the ad served. Yep. And based on that, we're able to track and measure, of course, the data and then the results and optimize from that. So um, this is really- Just add one thing. It's a little better than a pre-bid filter because it doesn't just go in once. It keeps rescoring. It could be every week. It could even be every day. So so it's fresh data. Like it it continues to update. Learns. It continued learning. Um, Okay, that's where the machine learning came from because I'm thinking back on one definition. (laughs) They love yeah. to throw that word machine learning. It's like, ah, oh, cool. That's cool programmatic. Machine learning means that the scores are updated as it gets mm-hmm. more and more outcome data, mm-hmm. right? Just like in our analogy, like once you see who gets into Harvard, you might readjust the scores and be like, oh, I didn't count, uh, yeah. I didn't count SAT enough, right? So, and, uh, and how exactly do you do the scoring again? Is based on the consumer behavior? Yeah. And it's, that KPI? We take, yeah, we take these huge data sets of, all the bid requests that came in, the ones that drove conversions and the ones that didn't drive conversions. And then the statisticians do their magic. They, they, it's just, it's a, that, I mean, what algorithms actually are, are Mm -hmm. the methods of our scoring method. I see. I see. I see. Um, Okay. So how can someone that's listening to this conversation, take it home and take it, execute on, like, how can they, they go to their team, they go to their manager, they go to the decision maker and say, I think we need this. <laughs> yep. So the, the caveat is to, to have your own bid model, you have to be buying millions of impressions, right? Mm-hmm. And driving okay. thousands of conversions. Okay. We might, at some point, we will have a product for smaller advertisers. Mm-hmm. But today, it's like, it's truly custom, right? If, mm-hmm. uh, what's this company? I'm just going to pick a company at random. If Spindrift asks us to build an algorithm, we're only going to use Spindrift data in it. That's mm-hmm. the way we're going to market today. So if they don't, I know they have 1,000 conversions a week, so they're, they're eligible. They're, I don't know if they're buying millions of impressions, but maybe they should be. It's a, it's a great product. So the, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, my pizza place across the street isn't, isn't going to be big enough. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, yeah, because we don't merge data, your own data has to be powerful enough to reach what we call statistical significance. Yeah. So that yeah, yeah, yeah. Score, the scores are meaningful. Okay. Uh, and we get that a lot too when you work with like the big players like LiveRamp. In order to use any CRM data, yeah. it has to have a minimum of. Uh, yeah, there's minimums. There's minimums. Yeah. So it makes sense. The more, the larger the data, the more, well, you said statistically relevant it is. So um, I just getting wanna... started, you can just email me. Adam at Chalice AI. <laughs> yeah. And all your information will be in the show notes and it'll be on the social post that week as well. 
But um, I think it's a really cool concept. And I want to understand how Chalice is viewing cookie deprecation. That's not a question I like to ask lately because we only are obsessed with this. Like there's always that one thing we're obsessed with. But I'm really curious because this is very data driven. It's very, even though it's first party data that you're using, like what's your take? How is that going to affect any type of custom bidding or any type of first party data use? Yeah, I'm glad we had we had a good intro to talk about this. It's going to be easier to talk about than other times because I actually showed a model, right? Yeah. See the seven things that I showed in that. Mm-hmm. None of them were user ID, right? None of them were user ID. So because the whole the whole ecosystem was built up on modeling everything on the user ID, yeah. cookie loss looks like this huge catastrophe. Yeah. But yeah, user yeah. ID is just one field out of those fifty. Okay. So the first thing I would say is like it's like it's a big problem if if you're trying to build an algorithm for everyone. Yeah. User ID is the, is the most important thing, but for you as an individual advertiser, user ID might not be that important to your business, right? Maybe you can predict on day of the week and zip code and recency and those other things. Yeah. Right? And then in which case, cookie deprecation has nothing to do with you. You're just going to keep doing open web programmatic without IDs. If you're a, if User IDs are really important to you. They are for many businesses, like in telecom. They really need to know what phone you're carrying and whether or not you're someone who prepays or postpays for a phone. Like, uh, you know, then you need a, you just need a data partner, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's 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 cookies are going away, but data isn't going away, mm-hmm. right? Data is mostly moving to the publisher side, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the publisher data is coming through places like LiveRamp and Trade Desk UID 2.0. And, you know, you need partners and infrastructure to operate in that world. Uh, but if you can operate in that world, then algorithms just apply just the same. Gotcha. And um, it seems like this will be also a perfect. I mean, I'm going to intelligently say that this is something that everyone, every brand should use. But in terms of like best in term in terms of industry that it could fit, it looks it sounds like retailers could really benefit from this would you think like online uh, dtc what do you think what's your take on that we're get we like we really like the traction in cpg and auto mm-hmm. because uh they haven't fallen into the habit of doing everything on performance mm-hmm. so it's, it's really about the amount of change like we represent a different way of working right it's 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 it's, it's a little much for people to talk mm-hmm. about dealing with these large data sets and a way of working where we where a partner is ingesting the six billion data set. Yeah. Six billion it's six billion a week for our auto client. Um, and they're actually, you know, to some extent more comfortable with that going out as exhaust mm-hmm. and for that to be captured and analyzed, right? Because for 10 years it's been that data's been going out into the ether as exhaust. Yeah. And now we're capturing and looking at it and it represents yeah. a much different way of doing business. So what I what we find a lot, and this is it's human nature, but it's a little sad, is that yeah. in the world of retail, finance, travel, where performance marketing has reigned, yep. people are people are threatened by this new way of doing business. Like um, they're uh, are reluctant. Oh. It feels like too big a change, and that they have so much structure built around performance that they don't want to rock the boat and, and knock it down. So that that's what, that's what we're seeing right now, but. Um, I would agree with you that they should, that the opportunity is enormously there. Something like second purchase is such a big deal for retailers. Mm-hmm. 
right? And in finance, like the being able to predict the customer's lifetime value, that's the whole game in finance. Yeah, I mean, the, the more it makes so much sense too, because now you're becoming more uh, niched in how you're looking at your data and how you're reading it, right? So yeah. now you know exactly how to invest. There won't be as much, I don't like that word, but wasted investment or you know, testing or guessing work because we play a lot on the guessing, like it's like guess marketing or guess yeah. programmatic, a <laughs> whole programmatic. Yeah. Um, so I feel like knowing exactly that information and that data would be able to really make help the brand or help anybody else working on that team make certain decision. And ultimately, you are saving up, or at least you're gaining from that. Yes, uh, it yeah, it pays for itself. Yeah, it does pay for itself. It makes sense. So now let's shift the conversation um, towards agency trading desk before we close uh, segment. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I wanted to kind of pick your brain on that is because what is your take on agency trading desk? Is it becoming more popular? Is it becoming less popular? Um, brands are moving in-house. Brands are not moving programmatic in-house. What, what, how, how is Chalice? What's Chalice's point of view or Adam's point of view on this? Yeah, again, it ties right into what we were just talking about. I was saying how like it's how change is tough, and maybe when I started the company, I underestimated, uh, I mean, overestimated how ready the marketplace is for something. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of been my whole career. Like I did search in two thousand two, and I was like, oh, everyone should do search marketing. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. And it wasn't yeah. until like two thousand six that search became a yeah. big deal. So, and then you know, same with social, same with programmatic. So I'm always I'm always a little bit ahead, and. It can be frustrating that um, I meet people like you who totally agree. And even we pitch clients who totally agree, like, oh, we should be doing this. This is definitely a better way to operate. Yeah. But then they, and they, then they just don't. They don't They're execute like, on it. Like, <laughs> they don't execute. Yeah, they, they, get, they become reluctant or, or yeah. afraid. Yeah. So we always wonder, like, you know, so we say, like, it's not going to change without pressure. And, we always, and people, people in my age who've been in, who've been in digital since the <laughs> beginning, we often talk about, like, what's going to change? Like, where's the pressure going to come from? <laughs> Some of it comes from DTC brands, mm-hmm. um, including our clients, uh, who are just who are just much better at marketing. Or like yeah, Uber yeah. and Netflix are so much better at digital marketing that they've, you know, they're, they've clobbered their competition, right? And yeah. and it's like you, you know you're not going to start company, you know, like entertainment companies have to pay attention to the way Netflix operates mm-hmm. with machine learning first, right? So that that's one pressure point. But the pressure point we didn't expect that's driving adoption of our business was. Uh, the people not wanting to work on agency trading desks anymore. So the trading desks are huge. And in-housing hasn't really hurt them. Like, mm-hmm. they're still enormous. Like, the one, like, Matterkind at IPG and uh, Zaxis at, at WPP and Publicis has one called Precision. Like, they're, they're enormous. Like, I ran a big one, and those are much bigger. Amnet at Dentsu. There are hundreds yeah. and hundreds of people, you know, and they're and they're moving billions of dollars. So, so they're not going away. Though some clients are in housing, talk about in housing or partially in housing, like they're real. But what's happening right now is they're hurting for people, right? Like they've the jobs on the trading desks uh, are being rejected by the people who are skilled to do them. Yeah, that's that's a topic that uh Chalice's CEO Ali Manning wrote about recently and that yep. we, were, we were chatting about before we started um yeah. is that is that these people are leaving because the the job we would say it feels like you're working for the technology mm-hmm. right and and that trading desk should really pay attention if you're in charge of a trading desk you should really pay attention 
to the workers' feelings that they're working for a platform and their jobs are meaningless, right? Because what we found is that when grunt work is automated and an algorithm and there's a machine that's learning it's fitted, the humans are really freed up to do the work that only humans can do, which is, which is creative optimization, mm. uh, developing hypotheses and tests. Right. right? And, just, and just using your imagination, like, why is this happening? Why is the week important? Why is this code better than that? Uh-huh. Right? How do we test and find out? Like, that work is marketing. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's mostly gone from the agency training desk. Like, right? When I started search, like, I remember my fascination doing my first search ads. Was just yes. like, what's happening out there? Like, what is, how do people see this? Like, why did this ad perform better than that ad? And one thing I learned early on is if you have a number with a lot of zeros, it gets more clicks. Like, what is that? Like, you know, like, like, I think the ability to be curious, to test, to be curious, that's what, that's what being a media person really is, right? Being a, yep. being a mass media person is like being any kind of performer, really, because what you're thinking about is how does, how does one person communicate with millions, mm-hmm. right? What are millions of people thinking? And data is just a, a signal of that, right? So the machines are pretty good at interpreting the data, but there's a real human piece of that that's really creative work that the trading desk would think hard about trying to bring back. Mm-hmm. And we think it's something that Charles can help with. I think it's it's super important. The most important keyword here is the people. Like, yeah. You got to remember them. I mean, I know programmatic is sexy and it's a lot of automation involved and and you can become very, very smart in the way you're performing things from a programmatic perspective, but like, y'all remember your people. Like, yeah. Like the average adults person stays two years or less. That yeah, is they're nothing. burning out. Yeah. And then I remember there was like a lot of articles a few years ago, uh, calling millennials, uh, not loyal to their companies. I feel like it's because like, it's because of what we know we can bring, what we, uh, what is important to us and what we want to accomplish. And so if, if that company is not ready to mold, how is that, if you're not willing to be flexible with the people that's going to make you the money, how do you think, like, yeah. how do you think your consumer or your, uh, your customer are going to feel? Or like, eventually it, it's like, it's like a balance. Everything has to be as balanced as possible. And the investment you make in your people are going to bring your results. Like a happy team is a productive team that brings results. But yeah. So weird. It's like that. It's literally that simple. It's that simple. Yeah. And that. And Ali, she said in her in her LinkedIn post, and actually I'll, p- I'll plug it in in the short note as well. She said like the days off cannot no longer replace all the other benefits. Like yeah, I want a day off. Cool, but I actually want a day <laughs> off and some more. Like a true day off. Unplugged. I like uh, one of the clients. He said so. I'm taking two weeks off in August, and the team was like, "Bet no problem." And he's like, "No, y'all." I'm taking a European two weeks off. You will not hear from me. I do no, I'm not, no longer exist to you. So by this time yeah. on Friday, of course, he's a CMO. So yeah, at that level, that. there's a certain, like, I don't think his coordinator can say things like that. But he said, you will not hear from me for two weeks. I don't want to hear from you. Don't text me. You're done. You're blocked from my phone. Matter of fact, matter of fact, I don't even have a phone. So I yeah. love that idea. I'm like, everybody should be able to unplug. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's we, we're, we're gonna try to advocate that for our employees, Dallas. It's tough and programmatic yeah, when you're running when you're running day to day. But I I uh, used to vacation like that, and I want that for my employees. 
the best thing um, ever. Well, you know, it's I think it's a little dangerous for the agencies because they if people do that, they come back, they come back to their job. Like the best agency employees, and I'm guilty of this too, like our best employees are the ones who just sit at their desk all day, never mm-hmm. take their eyes off the screen or their hand mm-hmm. off the mouse and optimize, optimize and traffic and traffic and traffic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who would everyone, everyone of course they're going to burn out. Like, yeah. <laughs> like um, they got to get up from the desk. They got to go to client meetings. They have yeah. to go yeah. to creative meetings and understand what this brand What's is trying to do. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I have a lot of passion about advertising. Right. And it's like it's a like it's like out of style. But like I've yeah. always loved media. I've always enjoyed ads. I've always been curious about what they have what happens. And I think um people should I, I would I would encourage people who, who feel that way, not only to, to speak out, but to demand jobs that um mm-hmm. let you express that passion, curiosity. It's it's good for the economy for brands to be better at communicating with customers, right? It's Good, it's good for America if if American companies and American ads are better. Like it's, uh, it's yeah, it's great yeah. efficiency. I was um I was reading Who Not How by Dan Sullivan and Dr. Ben Hardy, and they he said somewhere in the in the chapters he said that eighty six percent of your creativity actually happens outside of your work environment. Like if you notice, you're in the shower and you think about your million dollar ideas, or you'll be <laughs> swimming. Or you literally walk yeah. the dog and then something brilliant happens. And this has happened so many times to me, even when I was a buyer, like I'll think about something like, dang, I didn't try this yet. And then I'll come back yeah. and, and try it and it'll work. So uh, we're just going to end this with, with that. Like, y'all, you need to step yeah. away. Um, of course, in, in order to become master, what you, you do is practice and repetition. We agree. But just because you have to to repeat certain thing like you did a day, it does not mean that you're not allowed a break. So remember your person, you remember your health, you remember your mental health, your soul. And uh, before we your end, imagination and, and remember imagination. your creativity, feed yeah. it, you know, feed it. Don't be afraid of trying something different personally because it's going to it's almost like a good way of spreading the energy in your in your professional life as well. Um, which I think it's a good segue um, into my next question. So, so I think we're going to shift a little bit and then we're going to uh, talk about you okay. before we end the podcast. <laughs> so I like to end the podcast with this question. I ask everybody this question, like to tell me three uh, fun facts about yourself. You already told mm. us one earlier about working and uh, being a rapper. Rap- rap- okay. yeah. yeah. So tell us two more. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm a descendant of, uh, the Mongolian invaders of Europe. Oh, okay. The birthmark that indicates that. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you got to send us more information on that. I'm going to add everything in the show notes because somebody's going to want to see that. Well, is, is it appropriate to ask to see a birthmark nowadays? It's not there. It's only in, it, babies have it and it's oh. blue. My, oh. my son's had it too. Oh, interesting. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it was thought to be like, uh, probably not true that this blue birthmark means that you're uh, a Mongol descendant, but then uh-huh. um, I was genetically tested and confirmed it. Oh, nice. The Mongols, the Mongols, yeah, were like Chinese people who occupied most of Eastern Europe only like 500 years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> I, I think that's a fun fact. That is a very um, fun fact. <laughs> 
What else? My children are obsessed with Halloween. I'll show you all the pumpkins we have so far. Wait, hold up. You said Halloween already? <laughs> already. We've jumped into the pumpkin patch. And here, can you see this witch that's already hanging up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is so funny. If a two-year-old and a four-year-old and yeah. It's oh, like, that's fun. It's almost Halloween all year round here, but when the stores start selling Halloween stuff and the pumpkin patch is open, <laughs> really madness. That is so interesting. Well, thank you for sharing with us today. Um, what is one word of wisdom or a quick advice for um for our listeners? Like if you had to tell tell yourself, your freshman self this, what would it be when you first started in the in mm. the industry? What is one thing you wish you knew? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that I wish I knew. I think I would. I, I, it's going to sound self-serving, but um, I, you know, <laughs> I wish that older people tried to give me advice. I ignored a lot of good advice from older people. I was. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know if that could be. Is anything I could do about that? Nah, like. <laughs> I think it's a good advice. Like, listen to people that put some some uh, some work in. Listen to people that have more experience than you. Yeah, I, I never trusted advice. that they had my best interest at heart, or that it yeah. was relevant. Yeah. That their experience mm -hmm. was relevant to me. And I guess it's hard to tell when you're young. Like, is this person just telling me this because they, yeah. they, you know, they have, you know, they're stuck on it. They're stuck <laughs> on it for their own lives, or they're really trying trying to help. That's a, that's a, certainly not one word. I would. I think the one word for me is curiosity. Like, if you work in advertising, you're not curious mm -hmm. about what's going on in the data, then you should get out. You should. You should do something else. Like, if this is the the future of it is going to be more like traditional marketing. Yeah. Driven by curiosity, passion, and imagination. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a way. It's a good way to end. And most of the guests on the podcast talk about curiosity and the courage to ask questions. So I think it's the best way to end this. So thank you so much for dropping by. It really was amazing. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, for anyone that wants to, to reach out to you, how do they do that? Yeah, you can use Adam at Dallas AI. There's a, yeah. you can email me. There's a, a form on the website. And um, Ellen, I, I would I would think you should have both my co-founders when you when you have time to get them around. But um, oh yeah, I, I already have like so many questions to keep asking, yeah, but I'm like I want to be respectful of your time, and I'm, oh, I'm no. going to email Ali right after this because yeah, so Ali's amazing at, at go to market and and workplace mm -hmm. uh, culture. Okay, and Ken, Ken Rota, our head chief data scientist and technologist, is like. You know, he's he's a PhD economist and statistician, and he builds the mm -hmm. algorithms that we drive. But he could explain stuff. He's really okay. good at, at explaining stuff like a like a professor. So if you really want to talk to someone like with the really lofty technical knowledge of custom yeah. algorithms and data, okay. you can explain it. Like Ken Ken would be would be amazing. And you know, like I'm the I'm, I chose the role of company CEO, but the three of us run the company, mm -hmm. and I don't mind being out and the spokesperson and stuff. But I really think that my two co-founders are potential star. So I'm always trying to push them into the limelight in front of the cameras if you're willing to talk to them. Oh, absolutely. I'm always open for, for more guests and I appreciate the recommendation. And uh, actually, you talk about cool. um, being a team and being successful. There's an African proverb that says, if you want to go quickly, you go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. So I think that's what uh, represent. And I love the fact uh, that you brought in your team. So thank you so much for the recommendation. That can be a, that can be a metal. Yeah. I will most likely reach out to them. Do you have sponsorship yet? 
I don't, and I should. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that too. Let's talk about that offline. Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Feel free to grab today's conversation and show notes, including our guest information, on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Programmaticdigest.com. See you next week and stay curious, my friends.